A Word in Season, Volume 1, Daily Messages on the Faith for All of Life by R.J. Rushdini, narrated by Abigail Walker, produced with permission by the Chalcedon Foundation. Chapter 1, The Ultimate Sin Basic to the ultimate sin is the desire to reform others and to conform them to our ideas and hopes. Too often in our day, this sin is proclaimed as a virtue. What it means simply is that we try to play God and to change other people to suit ourselves. People who are having problems getting along with their family, their fellow workers, or their community very often are guilty of this sin, which means they are trying to play God. You and I are not asked to change other people. Only God can do that. What we can do by God's grace is to change ourselves, to conform to His Word and calling. This means seeing the need to change in ourselves rather than in others, and leaving the reformation of others to God through the ministry of His Word. Today, of course, this is unpopular. The common idea of a noble person, statesman, or religious figure is of a man who, by legislation and police power with tax funds, works day and night to change others, never himself. The ultimate sin is anti-Christianity to the core. It places the power to change men in the hands of man, not God. It gives to man the supposed right to control his fellow men in terms of his ideas of social and personal reform. We have no right to ask people to conform to our will and ideas. We do have the responsibility to summon them to conform to God's word and calling. God himself conforms us to the image of his Son, Romans 8, 29 and requires us through St. Paul to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12.2 By his sovereign grace he makes us conformable unto the death of his Son. Philippians 3.10 So that we die to our self-righteousness and our ideas of reforming the world, and are instead alive to the righteousness of God in Christ, and are conformed to his word. The next time you hear a man propose to reform you, the state, the world, and everything in sight, look at him for what he is, the ultimate sinner, a would-be God, and a defiler of creation. And be careful when you see such a man that you do not spot him in your mirror. Chapter 2. Self-Righteousness Some years ago, I had as neighbors a young couple with serious problems. The wife was thoroughly irresponsible. She had a lovely home, three fine children, a faithful and devoted husband, and part-time help in housework. The husband and the help did much of the work, and the wife sometimes disappeared overnight, especially on weekends with one or another, quote, boyfriend, end quote. When the all-too-patient husband finally threatened court action in a divorce, the wife said in some anger, quote, How can he do this to me after all I've done for him? End quote. Her attitude was that anything she did for him was a favor and he should be grateful. Not too long ago, a young man showed a similar reaction. His parents had provided him with an excellent education, helped buy him a house equal to theirs, and given him and his wife a vacation to Hawaii a new car every third year, and still more. Yet he failed to meet his ordinary responsibilities like a man. When the father demanded some responsible action from the young man and his wife, the son angrily rejected the advice. Quote, what have you ever done for me all these years? End quote, he complained. 
quote, you were always too busy working to spend time with me before, and now you want to run my life, end quote. The son had been given a good, disciplined home life, an excellent education, as much time and attention as his father could afford, and more than a little money, but he could still complain. The root of this moral sickness is self-righteousness. The self-righteous man sees everything wrong with God, the world, and his family, and nothing wrong with himself. The self-righteous man has a revolutionary answer for all problems. Everything around him must change and he must remain the same. By definition, he himself is the ultimate standard and judge. The social order must be overturned, his parents despised, and all authority flouted. But he insists on remaining the same. He is very pleased with his own perfection. They are wrong, seriously and viciously wrong. These men who tell us that these revolutionists, old and young in politics or in our schools, are fine young idealists. They are rather self-righteous fools, dedicated to the proposition that all evil is in the world around them and all righteousness is in themselves. This is why scripture is so emphatic in declaring that no man is saved by self-righteousness. Quote, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. End quote. Galatians 2.16 No man gains a do-it-yourself salvation or perfection. Salvation is the work of God and man. God's righteousness, not man's self-made righteousness. The saved man seeks to conform himself to the word and will of God. The self-righteous man seeks to conform God and the world to his word and will. The self-righteous man makes his own will his law. He replaces the law of God with man-made traditions of his own devising. Today, self-righteousness has been made a virtue, old and young busily cultivating it. We are in trouble. The world of self-righteousness is a world of anarchy. The story about the young wife is 20 years old. Some but not too many, sided with her then. The story of the young man comes from last year. Most people sided with the son. After all, they said, the son is not a criminal, and the father should be grateful. Who else is he going to leave his money to? Solomon described these people long ago. Quote, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Proverbs thirty twelve. The destiny of such people is to be washed out of history by God's judgment. Chapter 3. Proud Sins One of the hardest things to do is to convince women that they snore. One man whose wife complains about his snoring admitted to me that his wife snored too. Then why not tell her, I suggested. His answer was quick. He wouldn't dare. She would not believe him and would assume he was being dishonest. Women regard it as unfeminine to snore and as beneath their dignity, and few will believe that they actually do. Most men, being loving and sometimes indulgent, say nothing. An old priest once remarked that he had never had anyone confess to being stingy. All other kinds of sins he had heard, but not that. It was not for lack of stingy parishioners, but because there is no dignity in being stingy. As a result, they saw their stinginess as thrift, providence, good management, and somehow a virtue, not a vice. We are not only sinners, but we are proud sinners. The sins we commit we see as sins of strength, character, and vigor. 
Some years ago, when I did a little prison visitation, I found one of the commonest attitudes to be precisely this kind of Phariseeism. A prisoner might admit to committing certain offenses, but he would point to other offenders, cite their crimes, and state, quote, I've never done anything as low as that, end quote. His offenses somehow had status, dignity, and character in his eyes. We are very tolerant and indulgent about our own sins and shortcomings. As far as we are concerned, there is really something lovable about even our faults. Of course, our husbands, wives, or friends' faults are annoying to us, and we wonder why they will not change themselves to suit us. Our sins, of course, suit us very nicely. Not only is pride a part of our sin, but we are proud too often in sin and of our sins. They suit us, and therefore we persist in them. We may think about cleaning house, but not too seriously. St. Augustine wrote that when he began to come under conviction, he started to pray to God to change him. But his prayer amounted essentially to this, quote, Lord, make me pure, but not yet, end quote. So it is too often with us. We are proud sinners, and our sins are dearer to us if we are honest enough to admit it. They suit us. This does not change reality, however. Our lives are not intended to suit us, but to please God. The Catechism is right. Quote, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. End quote. What are you trying to enjoy, God or your sin? Chapter 4 True Blindness Truly blind men are men who believe only in what they see, and they deliberately see nothing. They look at the world around them, and they refuse to see order, direction, or meaning. They deny God in the supernatural, and they insist that the magnificent and intricate design in the natural world is not planned and ordered, but accidental. This is not only a deliberate self-blinding, but an amazing faith in mindless miracles. To believe that the created universe, with all its order, law, and design, is an accident requires a greater faith in miracles than the Bible ever requires. The psalmist tells us, quote, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, end quote, Psalm 19.1. St. Paul declares that, quote, The invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, i.e., all nature reveals God, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. End quote. Romans 1.20 The evidence is so compelling that only a willful, self-blinding man can suppress it. Men are blind to God because they choose to be so. They would rather deny their sight than confess their sin. For to see God's hand, power, and lordship means also to recognize our sin against him our lawless declaration of independence from God. Men choose to be blind rather than saved. They prefer to be their own God rather than to confess the true God. Man the sinner is thus a self-blinded, self-deluded, would-be God. Blind men cannot govern a world they refuse to see, and as a result their attempts at ruling the world without God go from disaster to disaster. Our times are a witness to this. But we are told that when men cried unto the Lord in their troubles and distress, quote, He sent his word and healed them, end quote. 
Psalm 107.20. To hear God's word means to confess him and his word to be sovereign and therefore redemptive. It means acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. It means to confess that there is more to the world than what we see. There is always God's hand and government in the world and in us. Do you see that? Chapter 5. Vision. She was a very modern, attractive young woman in her twenties. While in bed with her lover, her husband came home unexpectedly, thrashed the adulterer soundly, and threw him out. Meanwhile, the young woman called the police, and when they arrived, demanded that they arrest her husband. Why? Because, she said, he had violated her privacy and her, quote, rights, end quote. She was outraged when the police refused to do anything, and she wondered what the world was coming to. Surprised? You should not be. Proverbs 29:18 in the Berkeley Version reads, quote, Where there is no vision, the people run wild, but happy is he who keeps the law, end quote. The meaning of, quote, vision, end quote, is prophetic ministry, which faithfully preaches the word of God, so that the people, by means of God's law, have a lamp and a light for their way, and therefore vision. That vision is now gone with countless people, and like this young adulteress, their ideas of, quote, rights are governed by sin rather than the law of God. The young woman became very angry and bitter about what she regarded as the failure of the police. To her, something was wrong with a social order which failed to protect the, quote, freedom of someone like herself. The social order was, quote, repressive and hostile to freedom, she felt. She is not alone. Millions agree with her. As a result, people are running wild and the social order is perishing because there is no vision. And there can only be vision if the word of God is faithfully preached and faithfully heeded. There are many voices speaking today and many things to listen to. Are you listening to the word of God? Or are you, like that young woman without vision, deliberately blinding yourself by neglecting the word of God?